If you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to continue our series in the book of Romans. And um, I think it would be a good thing if we even start preparing ourselves as the Word of God is brought forth this morning for the Lord's table. Because I believe just as we've seen in Romans 2 so far that this book is very prophetic to the day that we're living in, but it's also prophetic to our lives. And uh, it's very prescriptive to us. And I believe that we're even going to see that today. And we're going to try to make it through all these verses today, but if we don't, we have next week, right? So I'm not worried about it. But if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 11. And we kind of ended in verse 11, but I want to make sure that that's covered well. It says this, for God shows no partiality. And I think I said this last week. How many of you are glad God is not partial to a group of people? That He loves you and I, and, and again, and, and all different types of people. It doesn't matter by what race or creed. It doesn't matter uh, uh, our status, who we are, and uh, where we are, and the ladder, the rungs of the world. But God loves us for who we are. And this is this in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the works of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse of even accuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secret, of men by Christ Jesus. And this morning, if you're using an electronic device or your Bible, I'm teaching out of the ESV this morning, so that might be helpful to you. So we see in verse 11, God shows no partiality. And in the Greek, that word partiality actually means this, to receive a face, to give a special consideration based on who someone is. It's the idea of favoritism. It's an idea of respect for a person or a group of persons. And I was thinking about this. And God, if we remember what we were looking at last week, this is an idea of judgment. Judgment. And, and, and we've got to remember that, what we were looking at last week, to understand what this verse 11 is saying. You know, in our court systems here, even in our country, sometimes you see partiality. And what I mean by that is this, when you have a, somebody that is famous prisoned, oftentimes they're given a different prison cell than other people. Sometimes there's favoritism because of their status in our world. And we've all seen this before. We've seen this taking place. If you've watched the news, you read the paper, uh, if you've seen something on a feed on your phone, we know that that is true. But the thing is, is this, is in God's system, 
And in His justice, remember, the wrath of God, as we've defined it, is righteous, it's pure, it's holy. It's perfect, the wrath of God and God's judgment. But the thing is, is this, that God's judgment is always true. It's always right. It does not base anything on who a person is or or, uh, what they are and who they've made themselves to be. But it's completely holy. It's completely a wrath that is totally 100%. Uh, in the realms of true justice. I, I was thinking about this. The most beautiful, exalted creature that God ever created was Lucifer. The Bible tells us this. We know him now as Satan. In fact, God actually called him the star of the morning. But it was because of his pride, Satan's pride, and his ambition to become as God, uh, or like God, or higher than God, We see God's justice prevailed. There was no partiality, even though Satan was that most exalted creature that God had created. It wasn't because of his place and position, but God judged. And we see that Satan was cast out of heaven and even made debase, and and he will meet his match in days to come. And I think about our Acts study for you that have joined us online or in person here. I think about the story of Cornelius and his household. The Gentile, the the man that was over a Roman cohort, uh, over Roman soldiers, and actually got the attention of God because of his deeds and his prayer life. And I think about how God revealed to Peter about how there was no prejudice, there was no uh, uh, this idea of partiality, even to the Gentiles. Because you've got to remember, the Jewish people, for the longest time, were God's people. And they were, had in their mind thought, as I brought out last week, that they were the ones and that everybody else wasn't. But it says in Acts 10.34, and this is when Peter's eyes were opened up to it, it says this, So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And what happened in that story was the Holy Spirit fell and Cornelius and his household, they got saved and they started speaking in tongues. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit was among them. And therefore, Peter could not deny it. I am so glad that God is a God of no partiality. In His love and His judgment. I'm so glad that God is a... God that is just, that He is perfect, that He is righteous, that He is holy. And in verse 12 in our text, it says this, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, we've got to remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And we know the church in Rome started because of the day of Pentecost. It actually tells us that in that portion of Scripture that there were those that were there that day from Rome. And they took their belief in Jesus Christ, being born again back to Rome, and actually started this house church movement that Paul is writing to, that he's addressing. He's in Corinth, and again, as we've uh, built the base of the study, we know that Corinth at this time is like one of the most evil places that Paul could actually be in. So he's writing from Corinth to Rome to these believers there. And I, these believers, you've got to understand, too, that mixed among them are 
these what we the Bible defines as Judaizers. Those that seen themselves as Christian but were still really hooked on to the old covenant, uh, onto the law, those even those laws that men had written. Not God's laws, but those added laws. And I think about this verse that we just read. The Jews were entrusted with a lot of knowledge, weren't they? Think about that. The history. They're everything that they were. They had seen God move time and time again. He's seen them divide the Red Sea. They've seen Moses or Pharaoh's armies drown. They, they'd seen a pillar and, and fire by night and, and a cloud. And, and, and they've seen God's provision through manna and, and just seen God time and time again throughout their history. They were given God's law. They were given God's word. And one thing that I want you to realize is this, is that God, because of our last study, makes it clear that He judges us based on our knowledge of Him by the availability to us. And like I said, I want you to think about how prophetic this book truly is to our nation today. Again, I can't help but preach this and see what's been going on in our world right now. Like in my prayer during the praise time, our brothers and sisters in Christ that were left in Afghanistan to be slaughtered. And there is many reports that are coming forward even now and throughout this past week of missions groups saying, yes, house churches have been slaughtered. In fact, there was one that was on the phone with somebody as troops broke in. The testimony was of the person on the phone as gunfire erupted was, we have peace. We have courage. Even the children will not deny Christ. Was their last words. I think about this verse here. Again, Paul is addressing those that are from this Jewish background that uh, some of them have given them their lives and been born again through Christ. And there's others that are still hanging on to the law. He says, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish with those with the law or without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. He's letting them know, listen, it's, even though you believe the law is going to save you, you are still going to be judged and you will be judged accordingly. I think about our nation. I told you last week, I think I have 19 different Bible apps on my phone. I have a strong concordance app on my phone. I have a couple other apps on my phone that I use regularly just throughout the day or even study or my personal Bible study time. I think I told you last week, I have 13 different Bibles that I have. I think about our history, the rich history of America, how much we've been given. You can still go online. You can turn on the radio at given times and hear messages preached through the airwaves. You can go online anytime and pull up a message off of YouTube or somebody's website. You can go online and pull the messages off here anytime you want to. It's available to you. 
But yet, we see our nation declining. Even though we have the most Bibles in the world, it's also a proven, proven fact that they're the most unread book in our homes. We've been given a lot of knowledge. A lot of knowledge. You know, Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 11, 20-23. If you want to turn there, I think it's important that you see it and that you read it with me. It's Matthew 11, 20-23. Matthew 11, 20-23. Now this is Jesus here. It says this, Then he began to denounce the cities where his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethesda! Bethesda! For it is the mighty works done in you that have been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you compare Pernium, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? For it is the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom that would have remained until this day. I think about how powerful Jesus' words are here. I think we need to understand, does anybody here, and I'm looking for an answer so you can just speak it out. Why does Jesus mention Tyre and Sidon here? Why does he use them as a comparison to these two other cities that we see here listed that he's warning against? Okay? Well, it's important we understand this because this will give you a little bit of understanding and meaning to this. Tyre and Sidon was the place where Baal worship was actually founded. Baal worship of that day. And another thing about Tyre and Sidon, too, is that's where Jezebel came from. Okay, so just keep that in your mind as you're reading. You see these two cities in the future. This is why these two cities are listed here, is because this is where Baal worship, the worship of the day that was against the true and living God, was founded. And he's warning them. And, and you say, well, why is he warning these two cities? Because what Jesus had done here is this. If you look further into the text, is he actually walked through those cities. He performed miracles in those cities. He spoke the Word of God in those cities. They had God in the flesh. Jesus, man, Jesus, 100% God, He had done these works and yet they did not believe. And he even goes as far as mentioning Capernaum here where uh, he asked him, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? And he says, for if the mighty works had done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. That's incredible. Here God is saying, listen, if I would have come, Jesus said, if I would have been in Sodom, if I would have done what I've done here in Capernaum, Sodom would still be standing. 
And we know why God destroyed Sodom. It was the uh, homosexuality or sodomy that was taking place. Or we still use the word today to reference that sin. I think of another example that we're given. I actually have my notes here. I, I think of another grim example that we have in understanding that to more knowledge is giving the, the idea that you will be judged based on that knowledge that you're given, that you've been given. In Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, verse 26, it says this, For if we go on sitting deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and of fury and of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood and covenant by which you were sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, I've said this before, if you're born again, we are no longer under the wrath of God. But everyone that is outside of being a son and daughter of God is under the wrath of God. Oh, do we still have sin and Do we still have consequence that enters our lives? We certainly do. And God forgives us for all sin, but I cannot express this more. But the consequences, they are something we're going to have to face. Something that doesn't go away. I call it the ripple effect, like throwing a, a rock into a pond. The ripples go out and out and out and out. And I think about this verse, the idea where it says for, in verse 26, for if we go on sitting deliberately, that word deliberately means this, willfully sinning against Christ. Willfully sinning against Christ. I would ask you this morning, are you willfully sinning against Christ? Listen, if you're not a new baby Christian here and the Holy Spirit has not revealed certain things to you, because I have seen this, I've had this happen in my life when I came to salvation at 10 years old. It was a process. And how many are glad here that God works on you as a process instead of trying to take everything and fix everything inside of us all at once because I've often heard it said that that would kill us. How many glad that God cleans out a room at a time in our spiritual house? And it seems like, I've said this before, we all have those rooms. You know, recently again, in, in our house, our, our daughter, Lizzie, they moved back from California, and Jake went off to England. He's, he's in the Air Force, and Lizzie is, is stayed with us the first couple weeks, and she stayed with her sister, and that first time she came back, We went into the spare room and we made sure that it was cleaned up. 
that it was nice for Lizzie and, and she had a clean bed, a dresser and some closet space and, and there was no clutter and Lizzie has been at her sister's house more for three weeks, right hun? Oh, two months now? Wow, time flies. And you know what? That room has cluttered. Mostly for me. We have a puppy now and we have to take shoes and boots and put them in that room and shut the door and all those other things that the dog wants to chew on and, and all these things that just seems like it just gets pushed in there. We have a, a baby shower coming up and that stuff is in there. And, and, and you know what? Missy just told me the other day, Lizzie's coming back home to stay with us. We have to do something. What she's saying is you've got to do something. I'm so glad that God is gentle with us. But I would ask you the question today, are you willfully sinning against Christ? I'm not talking about those sins that come up and catch you off guard. Anybody have that happen? Where it's like, where did that come from? And we repent and we turn from our sin and we turn to God. We ask forgiveness and He forgives us. He's takes our sin and He throws it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. But what about those sins that we know and we're living in? In the past, I've dealt with people, and this is one that's rampant in the church today. Many churches have unfaithful pastors. I'm going to tell you why. Because in a lot of churches, it's okay to fornicate. And I'm talking about Christians that supposedly have been saved for years. It seems like sexual sin is tolerated in the church today. And, and, and I've talked to people before where they've told me and they've wondered why their life is in such shackles. And, and it seems like nothing's going right. And they're doing everything they can to please God besides living in sexual sin. That's willfully sinning against Christ. You know, as I was thinking about this verse in the Scripture here, uh, the idea and a verse came to me in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, where it says this, Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now, now we've got to be careful there. We've got to continue reading here, because I have run into people before that have told me upon salvation that they've never sinned again. And I, my response is, I look right at them and say, you just sinned. You just lied. We go through this process, the sanctification process, and it will be a thing until your last breath here on earth. But as you continue in the text, in this 1 John 3, 9, it says this, For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. It's this idea, again, if you look in the Greek, it's this idea of this committing of sin here, where it's this exercise of sin. A continual thing, ongoing. And I would ask you, as we prepare to take from the Lord's table today, are you willfully sinning against Christ, or... Are you exercising a sin that you know is completely wrong against God? 
because of His Word. And it's been revealed to you. The Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. And you've seen it revealed to you through God's Word that is alive and living. Breathed out of His own mouth. You know, I, I was... I was a thought came to my mind here because this is the process where a lot of quote believers find themselves. Our Christian obedience is so crucial in our lives. And again, I will refer to a quote my father-in-law said here that has stuck with me and I've quoted several times since is this. A lot of times in the world today, Christian obedience is seen as legalism. And they're two different things. Legalism puts you in bondage. The idea of obedience to God frees you. Another verse is coming to my mind right now. I believe it's in Timothy. I don't know if it's First or Second Timothy, where it talks about true religion. Anybody here know what true religion is? What God gives us as far as the description? It's to feed the orphans, take care of widows, and to what? To keep yourself pure in this world. We never hear that last one, do we? We don't. I've seen that on coffee cups where they leave that last part right out. Keep ourselves pure. You cannot do it on your own, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives? Again, I'm going to say this. For you that are caught in addiction... Addiction is a real thing. I hate it. I cannot wait until Satan is cast into the pit of hell. I have walked with people through addiction. I have seen people die because of addiction. I've been there when they've been laying on the floor because of addiction. God wants to set you free. Whether it be from drugs or alcohol or pornography or any sexual immorality, God wants to set you free. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to take you taking one step of obedience. I've seen it time and time again. It's taking that one step of obedience when people are set free from things like that. It might be throwing that computer out. It might be getting rid of your smartphone. It might be getting rid of all the alcohol and never stopping again in another store. Our Christian, important, our Christian obedience is so crucial to our walk. And this, I will say this, I said this last week. God honors those that honor Him. And in our Christian obedience, God will honor your obedience. To him. This is this in verse 13 in our text out of Romans chapter 2. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This word here in the Greek, hearers, mean to, it means this, to listen, to be held accountable. 
to be held accountable. How many of you have ever found yourself in a conversation and you're not really listening? I think every husband here can say amen. We do not multitask, do we? It's amazing to me. I can watch Missy doing something in our living room by watching a movie, reading something, and I'll say something to her and she knows what I'd said. God's created women differently than men. But there's many times where Missy, I'll be just doing something simple, and she'll say something to me, and it's all of a sudden I don't answer back. And she'll say, are you listening to me? And sometimes I'm foolish, and I try to remember what she was saying or what I thought I heard. I'm not at that time one that is listening and being held accountable. You know, in this culture where Paul is writing, the Jews would often gather in a temple. And Scripture was often read. But the thing was, it was often read with no application and no understanding. You understand, they weren't doing what we were doing here this morning where I take a verse and let's dissect it and let's see what God and the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us through these verses. No, it was just this idea of just listening. It's kind of like that, that student that's in school or in college that went there and there's so many things on their mind and the professor's going on and next thing the class is over and nothing was received. So in this culture, most Jews were just hearers. It seemed like they had heard this forever, that it was repetitious. Let me say this. We should never allow the Word of God to be repetitious in a bad way in our life. I pray and hope that you never come here to church, whether it be me preaching or someone else preaching, and you just hear, Blah, blah, blah. Like Charlie Brown. Remember Charlie Brown? Whenever he got around his teacher? My parents wouldn't let us watch Charlie Brown because they thought that was totally horrible against authority. Because all year they heard the teacher says, wah, 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 wah. I pray and hope that you don't come here and you're that type of person. That's why I ask you when you first come here is, listen, let's, let's ask God to clear our minds. Let's prepare our hearts. That's part of what praise is all about. It's about glorifying God. And when we see how big He is and how small we are, how big He is and how small our issues are, as we sing praises to Him, and as we glorify Him, it prepares our hearts to be able to receive the Word. And when we receive the Word, truly, we won't just be hearers, but we'll be doers. Do we truly do what the Word of God calls us to? Or are we just filling the docket? Do we just come here? Listen, there is going to be a lot of people in hell that attended church on Sunday mornings. I don't, I don't hear no amens. Woohoo! That is a true statement. Just like the Jews of the day were religious people who killed, Jesus reminds them many a time, every prophet that was sent to them. 
do we find ourselves taking the Word of God lightly? Do we find ourselves just being hearers, but not doers? It says this in James 1, 22-23. James 1, 22-23. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is hearer of the Word, and not doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Again, I have in my notes, we must follow through with Christian obedience. It must be a lifestyle. And what I mean by Christian obedience is what is in the Word of God. Please be careful. I've told you before, I have some personal convictions that should never fall over to you. Never. I've shared with you one personal conviction I've had is I cannot, because the Holy Spirit knows why, I have not tried to figure it out. I think it's a pride issue. I've never been allowed to go buy a brand new vehicle. Even when I had cash. And our car salesmen here always get panicked. Why do you always got to bring that up? But I always make it a point, I make it clear, that's not your conviction. Our Bible teaches us about debt and how we should be careful. Makes it clear who our master becomes when we become indebted. But that's a personal conviction. Go buy new cars. Everybody here. Unless the Holy Spirit dictates different. But the Word of God is for all of us. It's for each and every one of us. It's not to be taken lightly. This instruction does not pass over any of you here or me. And not only are we supposed to hear it, but we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it. You know, when I first became senior pastor, I remember, and I, I look back now, and I, I've not listened to any of those horrible sermons that I preached at first. But I think people were just doing it out of kindness to me. They'd come up and they'd say, oh, Pastor, what a great sermon. And I'd look at most people and I'd say, listen, don't thank me. Thank God. It's His Word. And don't just hear it, but apply it. How many know that the application of God's Word, if it's not applied, does nothing? Now, be careful. Some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword, Right? If we receive it, if we receive it, it rightly divides between the heart and the spirit of man, the Bible says. So many think in the day that we're living in that because they attend church once a month, just because they listen to sermons on YouTube, which, in, in my opinion, just going to put it out there, uh, 75% of those are garbage. Some people think, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, yeah, my, my time with God is listening to Christian music in my car. Nothing wrong with Christian music. Well, I, there is something wrong with some Christian music. 
songs we sing here, we go through and doctrinally we go through them and we say, and sometimes this goes on an elder board level where we say, what is this song saying? Is this song more about us or more about God? Are you just a hearer of God's Word? Because if you are, you're in trouble. We need to be doers. If we truly believe the Word of God, if we truly believe that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, we would do exactly what God has called us to for His glory and not ours. I want you to listen to what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Just to show you how accountable we are for hearing, but what we do with those words. I believe, and I, before God, that I'm a faithful pastor here. I believe that when His Word goes forth, that it does its work, and it's unending. It goes on and on and on. This is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus really puts it in perspective there in this parable. The one that hears my words and does them is like a wise man who built their house on a rock. The house that we're in right now, I set the foundation in that house. I built it with my hands. I blocked it up, block after block. It's like six block high. And the most important thing is was what they called going down to virgin ground. So a footing had to be dug until it was tested that that was virgin ground to where that ground would not move. It had not been ever before dug up. It was founded. It was strong. It was not going to move. And therefore, we poured cement footings there, and then we were able to block. And as far as I know, our house has not moved in 24 years. The foundation has been firm. What are you building on? What are you building on? Are you... Building things here on earth? Are you building things for the kingdom of God? What's more important? I'd ask you, what, what is more important? Uh, Bob McCoy, our missionary here, Bob and Darlene McCoy. Bob wanted me to tell you guys that he wanted to thank you for the prayers. Before Bob got on the plane, when he went to Nepal... I specifically got a hold of him, called him on the phone. I said, Bob, what do you need prayer for? Please tell me. And he listed several things. And I said to him right there, and then let's pray and ask God to be faithful in these areas. Right here on the phone. And I prayed with him, and I said, listen, 
we'll have intercessors praying at the church, people's hearts that are moved by what you're doing over there. They're going to be praying. And he got home last Sunday and he gave me a call Monday and he just said, man, I need to tell you that everything that you prayed for came to pass. Everything. The weather, everything fell into place. And he wanted to say thank you to the church for, for praying for him. You know, I think about what Bob did over there. I think about what he does on the mission field. I think about where his building is taking place. Jesus equates our hearing and our doing to building a house, our foundation. He makes it clear that if you take these words of mine and you do them, you'll be building on a rock. But if you don't, if you just take God's Word and you just something that you open once a week, and this is why we will not put Scriptures ever on this screen. Okay? Because I want you to actually handle this. I want you to actually look in this. I'm praying that you're looking in this every day, several times a day. What are you building on? And the second part of that verse says this, but the doers of the law will be justified. Who are these doers of the law? I have my notes here. They are those who come to God with a repentant faith and faith like a child. None of us will be able to keep the law. We know that. We've done this drill here at Momentum Christian Church. Any guy here want to step up and do it in front of everybody here? And I'll ask you if you're an adulterer. And and um, you'll say, no, I've never slept with another woman. But then we'll do what Jesus did and he elevated that law. And he said, hmm, anybody that looks upon a woman with lust if committed adultery. Anybody want to take that turn? Say you're a good person. Come on up. No takers? I wouldn't volunteer for that either. Not at all. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, you hear me talking more and more about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is crucial. Jesus Christ, we we often, and listen, please hear me right. And you can go into Scripture. I'll be willing to sit down with you and show you. Right now, Jesus is in his rightful place. Where, Bob? Because you answered this for me. For us. John 17, the high priestly prayer. I love that prayer. It's for me. It's for you. It's for generations in the past and to come. And where's God the Father? He's ruling, sitting on a throne, ruling over everything. We know this. Nothing catches God by surprise. We use that phrase a lot. Where's the Holy Spirit? Inside of us. He's the helper. The one that Jesus, and actually in the Greek, if you look at it, Jesus actually, that word helper means one who is better than me. I've had people get offended over that, but do we truly believe that the Trinity is three in one? Amen. 
I'm glad some of you are agreeing with me because that is the truth. Even though it boggles our mind, we know this because we've done a study here, they have different jobs, you could say. But the Holy Spirit is the one that lives inside of us. And please, church, start calling upon Him for His help. I've said this before, we treat Him like the stepchild. Very seldom do I hear anybody pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that's inside of you that is going to allow you to be not just a hearer, but a doer of God's Word. He's the one that quickens your body. You know, none of us will ever be able to keep the law. That is, I could prove that to anybody here that thinks that they can. I don't care if just going through the Ten Commandments. You will not pass the test. We have actually done this on the road before where we've offered people $100. I'll give you $100 if you can prove to me you're a good person. You know how many people have ever got that $100? None. None. What does the Bible say of the Holy Spirit? And again, the Bible makes it clear there's 50 things that the Holy Spirit does in believer life, but I think about what the Holy Spirit and the Bible says about how this can be applied to us today about being just not hearers but doers. Remember, the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit is our what? Schoolmaster. Our schoolmaster. And one of the things that he shows us is our deep need for Savior. When we come and we're born again and we repent, we turn from sin, turn to God, and he makes us a new creation. But he also shows us our need for obedience. You know, that verse is in Galatians 3.24. Galatians 3.24. And I, I do like it how it spells out or how it reads out better in the King James. But in the ESV it says this. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit in your Christian obedience? Let's get back to our text in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. This is this. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are laws to themselves, even though they do not have the law. And in verse 15 it says this, They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even. In in this verse here, and the verses that we've looked at so far in Romans, Paul shows us clearly that God will judge people according with the light they've received, with the knowledge that they've been given. And again, like I said earlier, the Jews were given the law and the prophets, and they will be judged according to that. That light, that knowledge that they were given. They will be judged by the Holy Scriptures and uh, those books that were given to them and uh, by the prophets that God sent to them. But the bottom line for every Jew is that they've all sinned and they've all fallen short of the glory of God. And 
so have we. I don't think there's anyone here that can make an argument other way, in any other way. We were all under condemnation until Jesus Christ died, resurrected, was our perfect sacrifice. We were all in need of salvation. And we know that God's Word makes clear without Christ, the wages of sin is what? Death. And I've said this before, I choose life. I choose life. You know, I, I've thought about this. If I were to bring a big block Hershey bar up here, and then I would bring a block of decon up here, and they were clearly marked, how many of you would come up here and gnaw on the block of decon? Now, there's call, a few small children here we'd have to worry about because they just have not been given that light or that knowledge. But most of us know it's not good to eat rat poison. Most of us would take that Hershey bar instead of the decon block. So we know that the wages of sin is death. And that death is eternal separation from God if we continue in it. So we see that the Jews, each one of them, are going to be judged for those things. But what about us? Because the Scripture is dealing with the Jews that received the law, but then the Gentiles that did not receive the law. They, Gentiles that they did not receive the commandments, the statues. They didn't have the feast or the oracles which God gave to His people. We know that because of our study in Mark, there was times that Christ, and I believe that He did this for a reason, for the examples to His disciples to let them know that God was going to go outside the bonds of just the Jewish people and reach out to the Gentiles. Remember in our study where they actually ventured out of certain Gentiles into a certain Gentile area and actually did ministry there? I believe that God and Jesus was giving His disciples insight that this was going to be broader than just the Jewish people. We know the veil was rent. No longer needed the priest to come to God. We no longer did it keep anyone from God in His presence. Everybody had the access to the Holy God. We have seen in this book of Romans, especially chapter 1, that God will show Himself in creation, right? Through creation. He'll show Himself in many different ways to even those that might not have the written Word of God in their hands. But us, we've been given the written Word of God. Like you said, I have so many copies of it that some of them I don't even use. We've all here, if you've been born again, been given the Holy Spirit. We've all been blessed with the ability in so many ways to study out the Word of God. 
I think about these verses where it talks about God giving each man a conscience to know what's right and wrong. I have my notes here. Man's inner conscience monitors motives and it bears witness and of man's inner sinfulness. Uh, it uh, accuses uh, us when we're guilty of doing what we know is morally wrong. And I often use the example, what's the difference between a conscience man and a, a, a Holy Spirit-filled man? Imagine if there's a plate glass here, or let's say the screen was a plate glass window. A conscious man would pick up this chair and say, you know what, I don't think that window should be the way it is. And a conscious man would throw the chair through the plate glass window, it would break, and maybe later on feel bad about it. Maybe a day, a week later, as they walk through that, play, that area and seen that glass broken, they, they might say to themselves, why did I do that? Man, somebody's going to have to pay for that. Somebody's going to have to fix it. Why did they do that? But the Holy Spirit-led man is a man that has, and he'll take the chair and before he throws it, the Holy Spirit says, don't. Stop. How are you being led? How are you being led? You know, we've seen in this portion of Scripture, and we talked about those that willfully sin and choose to sin, who have gathered themselves and committed to themselves to sin even against God and against Christ. And I believe in our world and in the church world and the Christian world, I believe the Bible talks about us quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. How many have ever grieved the Holy Spirit? Everybody in this room should raise their hand. I have. I might today. How many have ever quenched the Holy Spirit? I see, I have. When I was running away from God's call, I quenched it. I didn't want to hear it. Oh, his flame was not out. It's like a, an ember that was burning, but still, I quenched it to the point that oh, I was having a hard time hearing the Spirit of God, whether I was reading His Word to a still small voice. I couldn't hear Him. And I'm wondering if that's the state of most of the church today. Have we allowed ourselves to quench the Spirit of God and not even know it? just want to read this one more time. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table this morning. And one thing I do like about the ESV, how it brings out 1 Corinthians chapter 11, is that we're to truly judge ourselves. I'm going to ask you to come forward. 
and partake of the Lord's table. So if you could make your way up. Just just yeah, just make your way up, whoever's going to partake. You know, the Apostle Paul says to also he warns us to make sure that we are in the rightful place to take communion. And I want to just say, first off, if you're not a born-again believer, this communion table is not for you. Okay? If you're living in a known sin, this communion table, unless you repent and get things right, and we're going to have some time for that right now, you need to abstain. Because you will take communion in an unworthy manner. If you're at odds with a brother and sister or a neighbor and you just cannot forgiveness and you're, that's geared you towards bitterness, listen, best just to not partake this morning unless you get things right with God. And we say this because we've seen it happen in our church here. If you're at odds with somebody here, go to them right now. I say this, do the work. Get busy about God's business and make things right. And the Apostle Paul, I love using this portion of Scripture out of 1 Corinthians 11 because Apostle Paul, just like many times, is dealing with this church that has made communion into a really bad picnic, you could say, into something that it shouldn't have been. They were selfish. They were not worried about one another. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with that in this portion. I'm just going to read that to you as you continue to come up and take the elements. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But when we judged, are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. Or if, excuse me, but if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Again, I want to focus on that idea of judging ourselves truly. It's not judging myself against any one of you here. Saying, hey, yeah, I'm the pastor. I'm just a little bit better than you. You know, I don't have that problem that you have. Now, it's looking at ourselves through the lens of Scripture and saying, am I obeying the Word of God? Now, am I putting God in His rightful place? If I put an idol in front of Him, have I made something in the, that God isn't? We talked about that in this sermon series so far. You know, you hear today, my Jesus wouldn't do that. My God wouldn't do that. Well, what's happened is this. A lot of people have made Jesus into something that he's not outside of this book. My Jesus would never deal with anybody. He just loves people. That's right. That's their Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. 
We cannot go from outside of the lens of Scripture to make God into something that He's not. He is pure. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. But this idea of judging ourselves truly, just looking inside and saying, am I living my life for God the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit? Am I doing His business or my own? So we're going to take some time this morning and I want you just to examine your life. If you have an ongoing sin in your life, like put it to death right now. And the way you're going to put it to death is this. Is you're going to take, if you take one step of obedience, God's going to honor that. So often in addictions and things like that, it's just simply we don't take that first step. So maybe you need to take that one step of obedience and say to God right now, God, I'm committing to you. I repent. I'm turning from this addiction and I'm turning to you. Just the truth of the matter is Jesus is enough. But again, we cannot look past our, our taking that one step of obedience. I'm telling you, if you do that, God's going to set you free. And then some of us here, maybe you just find yourself that this reoccurring thing is just popping up in your life. You don't understand whether it's bitterness, unforgiveness. You know, I want to remind you that the Bible says that if we don't forgive others, God the Father cannot forgive us. That is not a matter of your salvation, but it's a matter of your relationship. And I don't know about you, I'm panicked in this weird world that we're living in to be living without Him, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Him. Maybe you're here today and you just completely, you've gotten away from God's Word and you're seeing the consequence from that. And you're saying, man, I see the ripple effect. I see where I've gotten far from God. Listen, turn around. He's right there. He's right there. God has went nowhere. He's right there. Just waiting for you to embrace you. And I think about the song that we sang earlier. No more mask. Run into the Father. I love that song. It's so doctrinal. Pure. Maybe you're here today and you just say, man, I need personal revival. I need personal revival. Whatever your situation is, is let's go before God and let's give it to Him this morning. Let's repent, turn from our sin, and turn to God. What I love about that, again, He throws it as far as the east is from the west. He throws it to see forgiveness, forgetfulness. Again, God forgives and He forgets. He's not like us. He's perfect. He doesn't have to learn from those lessons like we have to. He is perfect in every way. So let's just search our hearts. Let's examine ourselves truly, not against one another, but against God's Word.
Lord, in this time of quiet and reverence to You, Lord, as we search our hearts, Lord, cause the Holy Spirit to remove anything that's not of You, to remove the dross. Lord, cause us, Lord, to hate those things that You hate and to love those things that You love. Lord, cause us, Lord, to be willing as painful it is to crucify our sin. Put it to death. Because we know, as Your Word has shown us today, that the wages of sin is death. That Your way is life and life everlasting. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, if we have hatred in our heart, Lord, we pray, Lord, for love. And the true love of God removes it and fills our hearts. I pray if we have unforgiveness in our hearts toward a brother or sister, Lord, that we come to you right now with a repentant heart and that our relationship is restored between you and them and us and them and us and you. Lord, I pray for those that might be facing addiction here today. God, cause them, Lord, to take that step of obedience. Your word makes it clear that you honor those who honor you. Lord, cause them, Lord, to realize they cannot do it under their own power, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you've placed in every one of your your believers, born-again believers today. And I pray, Spirit, Lord, quicken their bodies. Lord, quicken their bodies to do the good works of Jesus Christ. And Father, if we put you in a, you're in, a, in a wrongful place, which is so easy to do, Lord, cause us to repent. Cause us, Lord, to make you King of kings and Lord of lords, the ruler of our hearts. Father, cause us, Lord, to never take your grace for granted. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, your steadfast love, your kindness, your gentleness, your faithfulness. But even as we sing the song this morning, all my life you've been faithful. Lord, let that be the anthem of each and every one of us, every person that we ever talk to, that we let them know that you have been so faithful to us. So, Father, I just ask, Lord, you just cause us, Lord, to bow our hearts to you today. Lord, cause us, Lord, to go forth. Lord, those that have no condemnation because we are in you and you are in us. Father, I just thank you. Paul says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What he did through his resurrection. He gave us life and life abundant. And we might spend eternity to our Father. Let's eat together. And in verse 25, it says this, And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, 
in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Jesus, we thank you today, Lord, for in full obedience to the Father going to the cross for us. Lord, we remember and we recall, and God calls it, Lord, to be an anthem on our hearts every day, Lord, the sacrifice that you paid that we might have freedom, that we might have life. Cause us never to forget. Let's drink together. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do you truly believe that? You know, that is not just a suggestion, but it's a command to go forth and proclaim the name of the Lord.